Welcome back to Coaching Kern, and I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined by my co-hosts, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kern, and our Hall of Fame writer, longtime Major League Baseball scout, Colorado Rocky, Will George, and our performance expert, Sal Marinello. Guys, I don't know if you could hear the music in the background, a little, little bit of the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, soundtrack there. I don't know if it was audible or not, but uh, we are on episode 70 here today with Coaching Kern and Podcast, and it is our panel of resident experts. Guys, welcome back to the show. Hey guys, here. Good morning. Could you hear the good, the bad, and the ugly in the background? Oh yeah, loved it. Loved it. Yeah, that was actually. I got. I had one choice when I was playing in the minors for a walk-up song, and we never had walk-up songs. But someone came in and said, "What do you want to walk up to today?" And that was my choice: the good, the bad, and the ugly. So nice. I, don't know, I don't know what that said about my uh, hitting career, but it was a favorite movie of mine. So. Um, Kevin, we always kick off the show with, with what you're seeing out there. I've been following. Obviously, we all read the articles. Fantastic. Uh, the last uh, They're all fantastic, but the last two specifically, I know we're hitting on the Yankees a little bit, um, deservedly so. But what's what's been catching your eye out there? Well, first of all, the music. Yeah, I love that. That was good. Good change up. Uh, it's always good to have a good change up. And uh, well, first of all, I want to because, you know, the Yankees are just so, you know, it's 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 ridiculous. We'll get into that. But I want to mention uh you know, we all travel a little bit, and I want to do a little. I want the show to be a little bit more of a, um, a little bit more of a travel log here and there as well, because we're giving people information. So I went to the uh, Battleship North Carolina this week. I was all over the country again, driving back from Jersey, and what what, a, what an impressive! Um, I spent like five hours on the ship. It was unbelievable. They let you go. Well, it's not like a normal. It's first of all, it's not Disney World. It's real. And it's not like a normal, uh, you know, somebody looking over your shoulder every 10 seconds if you go to a museum or something. You could actually really take your time and they, they encourage kids to come through. And you really got the feeling of what those guys lived like, uh, what their life was like in World War II on that battleship. And it, really impressive. You know, that's back when America did things right, you know, and um, the people looked out for one another Everything from the food. I mean, the bakery, you know, it was a floating city. So they had a, you know, they had a bakery making thousands of loaves of bread a day and things like that. One little thing on the bread, and I'll get right to sports. Because we're in the South Pacific, there would be some bugs, obviously, in the in the uh, flour. So they, we, they the, the, the servicemen, the sailors on occasion, quite often actually, would have to hold up the bread to the light and pick the bugs out just to make sure, you know, now they want us to eat bugs, by the way. So that's kind of fun. And, uh, but could you imagine today with the, with the awoke people and, oh my God, they made us eat bugs in the Navy, people beginning, you know, we need to grow a spine again as a country. I'll leave it there. We'll move forward, uh, move forward on things. But talking about growing a spine, of course, the Yankees, first of all, let's credit the uh, Phillies. In the Astros, Dave Dombrowski, and, and Will will know more about this and talk about it later. Great job. But let's get right to the Yankees. Same same old story. This time worse. They swept. You know, I've been telling you about the Yankees' leadership for, for the whole time of the show. Nothing here surprises me. I'm going to step it up a little, though. I think it's not – it's obviously Cashman's fault. I mean, he creates this team. He put them together. 
He hires the clowns that make a video, show a video of the Yankees' worst loss in their history as a motivational tool. You know, their mental skills coach. And they have mental skills coaches on every level doing a great job. I've been on the mental skills coach for a while because people were telling me that he he never holds players accountable. So even if a player makes a mistake, it's like, oh, you're good, you know, have your cupcake, you know, that kind of thing. So so no surprise there that he was um, – uh, it, it came out this week and, and he was, uh, you know, under the microscope and, and, and people couldn't believe it. But that's the Yankees and that's Cashman. But it's bigger than that. It's Hal Steinbrenner. Hal, so, you know – how since, you know, Hank kind of, I knew Hank very well. Hank was a tough guy, had his demons, but he wanted the Yankees to win. He, he really cared about the Yankees, much like his dad did. Hal wants to prove so much he's not his dad that he just floats along, let the Yankees, won't spend the money. Uh, you know, Bryce Harper dying to be a Yankee. Uh, I'll talk more about that later or in future shows. So that's, that's where I'm at. Hal Steinbrenner's the problem. Uh, Cashman's a symptom. Uh, Boone is a symptom. The mental skills coach is a symptom. How Steinbrenner is the disease. I'll leave it there. Yeah. Isn't that, I mean, that's usually how it works too. You, you can see it with the Lakers too, that the dad builds the, the enterprise and grinds to get to the top and hands it over to the children who don't necessarily know what it's like to take the bumps and bruises. And, you know, we get what we get. Uh, Yankees haven't won a World Series since 2019. I got a number for you, and I'm going to credit Justin right. Orenbuck for this. The 2009, Yan- actually, Dave. Going to correct you there. Did I say 19? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 2009. Sorry. And to clarify for for the listeners, they, they since 2001, the Yankees have won as many World Series as the Marlins won. There you go. I, I I saw that on Twitter. You had so think about this: 17 million dollars lost on starting pitchers, on injured starting pitchers. Since 2015, the Yankees have lost $17 million um, and almost 800 days of inactivity for the same thing. That's Justin Orenduff's research giving us that. So, uh, well, what, what were you what were you seeing here watching the Yankees move through this playoffs? Well, I, it, I, it was a disappointing run that they had. They barely got by Cleveland. Um, you know, they did not play well uh, the whole second half. Uh, they certainly miss DJ LeMayu. Uh, they certainly miss King. They certainly miss Benintendi and guys like that. Um, but still, you know, they still had a lot of talent on the field that did not play real well, did not pitch real well. Um, and just, you know, it, I, just a very, very disappointing performance to get swept in four games. Um, losing two at home, uh, you know, I know the weather was bad Sunday evening, but that place was empty for Yankee stadium. Um, so yeah, that was a disappointing look for sure. I was, I was impressed by the number of Astro fans that dared come to Yankee stadium that day dressed in Astro garbs. I, I guess that's being a product of the eighties. I could never imagine walking into an opposing park with other gear on, let alone Yankee stadium. Um, like that. Well, you know, a couple of things. Um, We've heard for years, and Kevin can attest to this, that the New York area doesn't stand for losers and won't stand for rebuilding. And yet you can't really, except for the Giants, recent success followed by failure, but that's going to happen. There's been nothing good coming out of 
mostly Madison Square Garden or either baseball place for years uh, over time. There's no consistency. Um, and it's it's I, I, I don't understand it, but um, living here my whole life and, and seeing how we went from being this, again, this premier city of a sports city. And by sports city, I'll say the tri-state area because we're all, you know, in the suburbs here in extension of Manhattan. Uh, that we stand for this, you know, really terrible performance. And uh, it, really, when you look at how much money the Yankees wasted these years, it's amazing Cashman still has a job. I, I'm never, I've never was a, a big Mad Dog Russo fan, but he does make, you know, broken clock is right twice a day. He does make some good observations. He said years ago, you know, who else could make $80, $90 million payroll errors uh, in, in any kind of professional sport? And yet, he still does that. Uh, and, and with regard to other teams' jerseys showing up in the crowds, I think that's a function of a bunch of things. First of all, I think people are sick of rooting for losers and for franchises that don't put the work in. Um, I look at it as you're not going to invest in the stock market for a company that can't get their act together. Why should you devote your what's supposed to be enjoyable time on a team that can't figure it out? And also, you know, you, these days you could watch any out-of-market team as much as your own team with the advent of all these packages. So it's not that unusual that you're seeing visiting teams now uh, invading the tri-state area arenas uh, and and rooting for the uh, for the visitors. Yeah. Um, going to the hitting now, we we saw the chronicle on why they decided to play Matt Carpenter, and then Tim Tim Flannery's been very active uh, on on social media. 50 strikeouts in four games. I mean, start with whatever one you want. I mean, they're, they're both issues. What, what are your thoughts on the, and anybody can jump on this, the, the decision to play Carpenter? He was a great he was a great player for him during that small stretch, but two and a half months off. Um, well, no, he, didn't, he, he didn't. Go ahead, go ahead Will. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, he was hurt till the very end. Um, and basically there was no place for him to go get at bats to get ready to play you know, because they didn't have an instructional league program. Um, their one team uh, ended up winning the Eastern League, but that was a, that was a two-day span. So he had hardly no at-bats um, at all other than, you know, simulated BPs or whatever you're going to do. And he hadn't played for, what, uh, six to eight weeks. So – you know, timing, timing and rhythm and all those things that go into being a good hitter. You know, he got hot, he put up some numbers, but then he got hurt. And, you know, he was, you know, a lot of those things, you know, all, all of a sudden midstream, you, you're not playing your shortstop, three, three different shortstops over three different days. You know, you got all this stuff going on that made no sense to me. Um, you know, they were, they, they, they look desperate grasping for straws instead of the team that won the second most games in the American League this year. Yeah. It was like yeah, rearranging the pictures in the Titanic. Yeah. Great, yeah. Great point about the shortstop. Um, Got to be strong up the middle. You know, the beta trade worked out because they kept throwing fastballs at them. You know, once they figure out the breaking ball thing, it'll be a little rougher road for beta. But um Got to mention the, the two things here. First of all, the 50 strikeouts. I, I did a column after the third game, and I was I did it late, you know, late at night, right after the game. So I was very hot then, and um, I pointed out all the mistakes: 41 strikeouts, you know, and then it went nine in the, in the last one too. 
The Carpenter thing, again, I'm sticking with this theme here. That's a symptom. These guys in charge of the Yankees, and I go back to the story I told earlier in uh, one of the early shows, but they don't know what they're looking at. Uh, You know, the the nerds in charge over there, they actually, they don't have any real life. They don't have the real baseball experience that Will has. Could you imagine? They uh, have guys there. They don't listen to any of them. No, they don't understand him because they're arrogant. That's that's why I'm coming down so hard on the nerds because it's one thing to be okay. I got my philosophy. I'm sticking with it and listen and and listen to other people. And but this is what we're gonna. No, they're arrogant. They are arrogant sons of bees. You know. Yeah. And uh, they deserve to get hammered. And getting back to Sal's point uh, about New York, I think the media has gotten so soft. It's ridiculous. So soft, and they're in bed with these guys basically. Um, uh, you know, everybody's on MLB Network. Everybody needs uh, information from Cashman. He he he's a master motivator. Knows how to control the media. He's controlled forever. But now he's it's spun out of control, even for him. And he'll get some criticism. And 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 the Carpenter thing is another symptom of the disease that's wrong with the Yankees. No one, if you were in a meeting, Will, and you guys were going over, okay, this is our world, this is our playoff plan, and I'm going to change the name. It's not Matt Carpenter. Um, all of a sudden, they say, hey, uh, player XYZ here, he hasn't hit in two months, but we're going to start him because his his he, you know his bat speed is up to, you know, we've measured his bat speed. What would you say in that meeting to the nerds? I, uh, I don't know. It depends on whether or not I wanted to get fired. I, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, you, you know, you, 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 you always try to make your point and try to make it through a filter not to offend anyone. But at a certain point, you know, the Cliff Notes version is, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, you know, are you kidding me? Exactly. You know, it's in, in, you know, you know, you know, we've been critical of Cole over the, uh, over the year on the podcast, you know, wondering why he doesn't throw more curveballs. And he started to use his curveball and, you know, he pitched pretty well in the playoffs. There's, there's, there's no way, and I like Lou Trevino, but there's no way in that situation with what I'm paying Garrett Cole that he does not try to pitch out of that jam when I'm down two games to none. And well, that's the nerds once again. I, yeah, I, I, exactly. And I'm sure if Brian Cash, or if Aaron Boone did that, he might have lost his job. Right. Because because that's how powerful. Uh, the, the decision makers, as Joe Madden says, that never have to go to the microphone and answer that question. But no, they, Boone has to. They escape it all the time. And then the other point is, just talking about playoff roster here, evidently Cortez had that groin situation for a while, and I'll throw it to Sal. But, um, you know, when if you know one of your guys who, who, who really um, – relies on angles, athleticism, uh, arm angles, legs, and he's got a little bit of a groin issue. How much does that impact where he goes? And, and, and uh, again, that's another mistake. They, that's a mistake of, of what they were doing. You know, a, another obvious mistake, Cortez, that eventually that the groin was going to blow. Yeah. What do you think, Sal? Well, I mean – there's so many things that go wrong at this point. You know, it's hard to blame the fact that, you know, he may maybe had a groin injury that they were covering up or whatever. I mean, at some point, there's there's not much 
that you could do to prevent that because guys are getting hurt throughout the season with stuff like that. So it's just one more, you know, one more thing that's a negative on how the team has been run. I mean, that's just how I look at it. You can't judge that, you know, freak things happen, but like, how does a pitcher, you know, what's the origin of the injury? We've talked about this a hundred times. You don't know what they're doing. You know, why would he have a, a, a groin injury when he's basically doing closed skill? The closed skill means there basically is very little, um, very little variation in in what they're doing. You know, obviously they have to react somewhat, but as far as quote open skills go, which are a hundred percent variable, pitching is on the other end of that spectrum. So I, I'm always suspect when you see groin, hamstring, back. There's 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 other issues there. The, the part that I was uh, I found fascinating was that they probably knew he had some of it. But didn't he pitch on three days rest? Um, <coughs> Against yeah. Cleveland. Yeah. Yep. And, and, yeah. So even if he was healthy, that's a pretty quick turnaround, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they don't they don't build trust in getting the rest of the players where they need to be. Uh, like Will talked about the shortstop. Uh, not, not, not that he's a, a world beater, but Jamison Tallinn, he was uh, he was basically forgotten in the postseason. They just basically cast him aside, and if you see the other teams, what are they doing? The and and I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with Will on one thing here. I don't think I agree that he should have stayed in uh, with the bases loaded, but I don't think Garrett Cole pitched like an ace. And I'm gonna give you one example, and you can disagree if you want, Will. But this is what this is what bothered me most of all. The to me, the key play of the whole tournament, because that's what it is now. It's not. It's not. It's not a World Series or American League pennant. It's a tournament for the Yankees. Was Harrison Bader trying to do too much in center field because they started Stanton in left field? We didn't even get to that. That's another mental midget mistake they made. No way in the world that guy should be in the outfield. And uh, so Bader's got to cover all that ground in left field. So now he's a little bit he's – he's like a chocolate lab. He's a little excited. So he, he basically gets in Judge's way on a fly ball to right. And Judge kind of veered off at the last second and uh, so he wouldn't crush him. And Bader drops it. But here's my point. Garrett Cole turns around and says, I got you. He says, I got you. And that's what teammates are. That's a good move. I like it. He's like, I got you, Bader. Don't worry. There's two outs. I'll get us out of this. It's a nine hitter. He throws a fastball to Chaz McCormick. And if you watch, and I watched the game, so I know. I don't all, all year. He, he, he's, he's shooting the ball to right field. He, he laid it right out there. The pitch was right on the, where Charles McCormick wanted it. So your ace couldn't take care of the nine hitter after your center fielder made a huge error. You're down to nothing. Goodbye, series. Well, I uh, let me clarify. I didn't say he pitched great. I said he pitched well. Okay. And my point is, if I have a guy that I'm paying $30 million a year to, Who's my number one? Oh, I, I agree on this point. We don't. Who's, who's been in all the All Star games every year, no matter what, because he's an All Star, I guess. Um, well, he's not. He's not coming out. I expect him to be successful, and maybe if all year I let him pitch through those jams, yep, then maybe at some point he learns how to be Max Scherzer and get out of the jam. Yeah, that's a great or, point. or Aaron Nola, or these guys in Houston, they all can get through seven innings and get three th- three times through an order, 
that nobody else in baseball can do? Come on, please give me a break. Good, Sal. Um, you know, this is kind of a, a little bit of a veering off, but, you know, you talk about these injuries that we're seeing and other stuff that crops up. It makes me think of when I first started going to some of uh, one of these coaching conferences I attended with, I attended every year. And in the group were guys and women from international sports from other countries. And, and in particular, um, Dean Benton is the, um, the head was at the time the head strength coach of uh, I believe it was the the Brumbies, which was an Australian rugby team. He was involved with their national team, and you talk to the, the um, to soccer and rugby and Australian rules football and a lot of these international sports, even the team sports. And I'll go back to the Australian rugby pro league. Those guys sleep in a team facility. Uh, I believe it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for a weekend game or if they traveled on a weekend. And the reason was research shows that those are the three nights that's most important to eat properly, sleep properly, be on the kind of schedule that's going to aid in recovery. It's going to allow you to prep better. You know what everybody's doing. You have all your meetings and you move on. And it struck me that, you know, we do things here and we don't have any of that. You know, I know from, and you guys know from the athletes you've known, it's all every man for himself. Um, there's very little of that. And uh, I just thought that was a, a very interesting way to treat and handle their team that did as much as they could to make sure these guys were as prepared as possible. And I think it's an interesting concept. I would love to see a team try to do that. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Baseball is obviously a different animal, but uh, I thought it was just a very interesting concept. I think the, the Yankees chose to show the probably what the most embarrassing loss in the history of their franchise with the four game sweep that Boston put on them in 04. That was their their response to getting their team mentally ready. I like that. I think it's an offshoot. If people go back and listen to Sal's podcast this past weekend with sleep, I mean it's a good it's a good reference to kind of go deeper into what he just mentioned. I want to I want to talk to you guys about the uh, middle infield play. We talked a little bit about Bader. And, Will, you mentioned the shuffling of the deck at the shortstop. That play by Glaber Torres to uh, Kiner Falafa. Uh, everybody's been debating flip, power feed, whatnot. Um, you know, what, what were your guys when you saw that? I, obviously another another symptom, like Kevin mentioned. But, um, I mean, g- give me some thoughts on that, that middle infield play. Uh, you know, probably a lack of uh, work doing it. Uh, you know, that we, we don't take infield every day. So I don't know if it was a lack of communication, but it looked like Kiner Falefa was coming across from the backside of the bag and the throw was far to the inside of the bag, which didn't make any sense to me. I, I don't think it was the type of flip. It was just a poorly executed play that cost them. And, and it's probably because, you know, uh, Whitaker and Trammell did that every day. Yeah. 160 times a year. So you never had to worry about anything. Well, it's reps. And I, I think with, and with, I, I was a second baseman, the nonverbal communication, you should have two, the nonverbal that I always worked with, if the shortstop could see my chest where I'm working back through the ball, that was a power feed. That's where the hands are on top of the ball. You're kind of waving high to the yeah. shortstop and you're finished. You're following the ball to give that little touch to it. Yeah, and they could only see my shoulders. If I was squared like Torres was, that was more of a 
um, an underhand flip yeah. and under the ball. Um, he looked like he was in no man's land, Torres. He was working away from the bag. To me, that was an indication. If I'm a shortstop like Kiner Falapa did, I'm sitting on the center field side of the bag like he did, and I'm trying to just get one out. Um, you know, a, a lot of these infielders, and one of the keys that you look for in good infielders are good feet and hands. Um, and I think because they don't take a lot of ground balls, they don't take a lot of infield every day, that they get lazy with their feet. So he didn't he didn't square himself up to make a good throw that was in the proper place and read where his, his infielder was coming across at. I mean, Kiner Falefa, you know, people were trying to, you know, trying to pin it on him. To me, he was at the bag and it was just not a good feed. You know, you know, you were asking him to have to go all the way across the bag with a runner coming in to try to chase down a ball that wasn't even close to where he was. No, that's a good point. And I think you nailed it there, Will. And that's, that's why we have you on the show because it's not just, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the play behind the play that's important. And I think what also happened, I, was Altuve the runner? I'm trying to remember who was the runner. But the, the runner hesitated. Yeah, because, he held up. Yeah. yeah, he held up. Cause, and kind of Falefa doesn't know that at that point. He's got to get across the back because if the runner doesn't hesitate, the runner's into him there. So yeah. he's doing the right thing. And and Torres is just what have we seen of him? He's lackadaisical, you know. He, yeah, he he, he yeah. can be he can be lackadaisical. There's a reason that he was a fabulous, good-looking young shortstop potential who's now playing second base and kind of an average defender at second base who makes some complacent plays. Now I don't I don't want to get too heavy here, but I just want to. I remember when he was coming up, I was sent down to do a story on him in Trenton on on. Glaber and I like Glaber personally, yeah. uh, but I went and at the time they were saying what a great shortstop he was. I watched one play, the first play he made in that series. He he just didn't get to the ball right in the hole. He made a bad throw to first, and I said to myself, "He's a third baseman or a second baseman. He's not a shortstop." I was. Old- I recognize that. I'm just a writer out there. I recognize it right away. These Yankee people, you know, stuck him at shortstop for a year, ruined him in a, way, a lot of ways. He hasn't bounced back from that. So this is what happens when you have – my central theme is when you have people in charge of teams that don't know baseball, you're going to get all these mistakes. When you have people in charge of teams that know baseball, a la Rob Thompson, by the way, who could have been manager of the Yankees if Cashman had hired the right guy, but he didn't, um, or Dave Dombrowski – these guys, you know, suddenly they see these things and, and they have scouts like Will. And uh, I, I'm going to read you one thing here, too. I got a um, this was uh, this was from a, another scout. He sent me a, he sent me a note the other day. He said uh, he was he was he was at the Yankees Astro series. And he said, as the Yankees hitting approach, and I wrote about this in my three to one contact story. He, he, this is a scout's words. He says, it's the most ignorant hitting approach any team could have. It was truly amazing what they did at the plate. It's like their goal isn't even to win baseball games. So that, that that's from another scout. So scouts and baseball people recognize this stuff, but yeah. the nerds don't want any part of it. Well, you know, the, with, with Torres, uh, as a kid coming up, you had concerns that he was a little bit thick on his lower half and that he wasn't going to be able to cover ground at shortstop. But then as we evolved to shortstop, not being the athletic guy that had range, but the guy who stood in the middle of a shift, 
all of a sudden people say, oh, well, yeah, he can play shortstop. Well, oh, yeah, Gary Sanchez is a good catcher. Just because just because you put them there doesn't make them good. They have to have the, the ability to, to, to do the job well. And, you know, I, it, it you know, it's, it, it, it's just that insanity, you know, like when people go, well, he can play shortstop. Yeah. If, if we have three guys on that side of the field, well, next year, we're not going to have that anymore. Yeah. We're going to, so, we're going to go back to real second base and yeah. real shortstop. Yeah. So you're going to have to actually have some range and start reading balls and actually working at that every day, instead of looking at a card and go, well, let me stand here with this guy. Cause there's an 83% chance that this is where the ground ball is going to go. Well, I, scouts too. One other point about scouts, Dave, and uh, go back to you, but uh, scouts jobs are a little bit easier now because they don't have to come early and watch infield because there's never any infield. It's a freaking well, joke. Uh, we still come early, but you I just, know you do. You, you look at an empty field. Right. And, 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 and then you watch a bunch of guys swing out of their ass for an hour and see how many balls they can hit out of the ballpark. So, well, why won't the team, you know, when teams, uh, you know, this is your pro tip of the day from AMBS. Go back to infield, all right? Go back to infield and uh, put guys in charge of baseball teams that really know baseball. And, uh, you know, and we've seen that with, you know, the Astros have changed front offices. They do still have some good, um, you know, uh, development people. I know Dan Radisson was there for many years, a former hitting coach. And, and that's the other thing. We haven't even mentioned Dylan Lawson, the Yankees uh, hitting coach, hit strikes hard guy. But um, not changing philosophies and just going with this philosophy is going to ruin any team. And that, and that's what happened with their hitting. And that's why they, what they hit, 171 in the playoffs, something like yeah. that. They had 49 hits, 103 strikeouts, something like that. So uh, so that's a problem. Well, let's let's flip it, Okay. You mentioned Rob Thompson. Rob Thompson got hired. I wasn't in Philadelphia, but I got videos from a very good friend of mine who was there scouting. Over the first five, four, four of the first five days, they did team fundamentals. They did PFP. There you they, go. Worked, they worked on things. They were taking infield, outfield every day. And at the beginning of the year, the biggest concern was, can the Phillies catch the ball? Can the Phillies – well – Alec Bohm played well defensively for the Phillies. Uh, Bryson Stock came up and did a really nice job at shortstop, better than I thought he was going to do. I, I, I liked the player a lot. I wasn't sure if he can stay at shortstop, and now I can. And then you mentioned Dave Dombrowski. He went and got the center fielder instead of having Odubel Herrera and this one and that one and all the different people that couldn't play center field. He went and got a guy who can play center field. Castellanos played a very solid right field. And early in the year, he did not look good out there. He didn't look comfortable. Um, Schwarber, you know, he's not a gold glove left, left fielder, but he plays a solid left field. That's how you get better. You actually work at it. And you have a bunch of guys who came together and, uh, I, you know, watching them play these 10 games that they're 9 and one or whatever they are, or eight and two, or whatever they are right now. Um, that's the best baseball I've watched in the big leagues for the last five years, watching the Phillies, to be wow. honest with you. How important is it? I mean, we go back to the, the adage of you've got to have a strong bullpen, you have to have a strong middle. You've got Riomuto, you've got Stott, Segura, and then Marsh in center. And the Phillies arguably have the, you know, the best one-two punch in the playoffs and yeah. a strong bullpen. 
mean, I look at that as an identity. What, what's the yeah. identity? Yeah, they didn't have it. They, 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 they just didn't have it. They, uh, you know, um, Trevino, as good as Trevino played, he struggled a little bit at the plate. And just because Higashioka's one day a week, he hit 380 in September or whatever, you started hearing murmur, you know, well, well maybe Higashioka could catch, should catch. Well, he hit 380 in four games that he played in September. He was, he was catching once a week. So, like, all of a sudden, you know, like, I, I, I you know, when you write the same names in the lineup instead of these these uh, jack of all trade lineups that that, that that seems like the young GMs, oh, we want versatility. Oh, he can play second, third, short. Yeah, and he's mediocre everywhere. How about if you just have good players that you write their name in the lineup every day? You know, like when when the Phillies went on their last run and Charlie, you know, you could set your clock on Charlie Manuel's lineup. Victorino was. Uh, Victorino was leading off in center field. Uh, Utley was hitting second. Rollins was hitting third. Um, then you had Ryan Howe. I mean, you know, you, you knew exactly where everybody was every day. And they knew, they knew where they were. They showed up at the ballpark ready to play every day. How important is that to the psyche of a player? Oh, I think it's huge. I think, um, you know, Somebody was talking about a little bit about it. How uh, I think it was Granderson was talking about how good certain managers are, you know, and they were actually making fun of the Yankees because Bader didn't know he was leading off that day when, when he was doing the interview. And they said, man, oh, man, he needed to know that the night before. Exactly. I get mentally so, prepared. And, yeah, uh, you know, you go home and you go, okay, I, shit, I'm leading off now. Let me, you know, let me think about what I got to do to get this team going. And he didn't. He, he didn't know it till Lauren or the, what's her name, Shahadi. Right, Shahadi. Yeah, yeah. She she told him, and you're leading off today. And he goes, "Really? Maybe she did the lineup." Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it. it you know, communication's big. You know, I, you you think Dusty doesn't know, let those guys all know. You think that Vasquez didn't know the day he was catching the day. You know, at least the day before. I'm sure that was all laid out. And that and that turned out to be a good move because Vasquez had a big throw. Yeah, he threw out Bader, and he and he got a he made he made a bonehead play, didn't run the play out, but he did yeah. get on base before the home run. And then he, yeah. um, you know, he did he he handled the pitching staff. And that's another great point. The the Astros catchers do a great job. Phillies catcher does a great job. Yeah. So that that's what you got. It's the old story. Strength up the middle doesn't change. No. One quick one quick point to Bryce Harper. Kevin Long, and of course Rob Thompson, all wanted to be Yankees for life, basically, and they weren't because of whatever reason. And uh, and and now the Phillies are reaping the benefits. Yeah, no, they, uh, you know, and and I sent you guys a text. You know, a lot of people don't like Bryce Harper. I guess he can piss people off or whatever. But I'll tell you what, it's a guy who's you know getting paid in the upper echelon. Uh, I've gotten him 4-2 on a one-hopper back to the pitcher. He runs every ball out hard. He fits in a blue-collar city like Philadelphia like a glove. Um, he didn't go sit home and, and, and eat bonbons and cheesesteaks. <laughs> he busted his ass with a torn UCL, UCL and a freaking broken thumb to be ready for this stage. And what he just did, my gosh, was 
was freaking you you don't have to like him but boy you better respect him in the world of prima donnas we live in that's that's a pretty special kid well said Cup in his comments after the game, I mean, he seems to be able to slow the game down right now, and he's maturing. Yeah, yeah, he's, he certainly has matured. And, you know, I, I, I had a friend of mine was their farm director, and he introduced me to him when he was in low A ball. And I, he couldn't wait to talk to me because my friend told him that I roomed with Cal. He loves the game. He loves the history of the game. He respects the history of the game. Yeah, he pissed people off early on in his career. Um, my gosh, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 15. Yeah. You know, uh, but, you know, he is who he is and he plays hard. And, man, oh, man, that, that we, we, we don't see a lot of home runs like that. Now, personally, I wouldn't have pitched to him. I wouldn't have made the pitch that they made. Uh, I, I thought there were other areas they could have went there if they were going to try to get him out. Um, and it would have been way in off the plate and hoped that he chased something way in and up. But um, I probably wouldn't have pitched to, to him at all. So, <laughs> Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I thought about, and, and well, I'll ask you this, uh, you know, all these, all these guys that are interviewing these players during games, it's got to be intrusive a little bit, but they ask the same darn questions. I mean, as a, as a coach, a scout, a player, I mean, what 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 are they possibly going to answer? Like, well, how you- yeah, I, 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 it really bothers me that that um, and and I love Ken Rosenthal and I love Verducci. They're really good guys, but you know what? The commissioner has sold the soul of the game out to the to the networks for the billions of dollars, and part of the deal is they're in they're basically in the dugout now. And, yeah. and they have access to the manager in the middle of a jam where they got to do the interview in the third or the fourth inning, whatever it is. You know, I mean, I, it, and, and you know, you know, how did you feel when you just hit that home run? How do you think I feel? I mean, I, it, it's just so intrusive. But, you know, I'm sure that that added, you know, another 25 or $200 million to their billion-dollar contracts that – that they ended up getting and it's there, there's no place for them on the field during the game. Yeah. That's it. And I don't find it enjoyable as a former player or even somebody watching the game with my kids. Yeah. You know, it adds nothing to it. What, um, we're getting close to our, you know, our normal 40, 45 minutes, but Wanda, wanted to, to kind of get you on uh, going back to Glaber a little bit. Um, you obviously you, you go through the Yankee system as part of your function with the Rockies where does he – and then hopefully the, the defense goes back to normal where I think they've undervalued second baseman. I was a second baseman. Maybe I'm biased. Yeah. But second base used to be, you know, one B to the catcher where you're the defense's captain besides the catcher. Everything is behind you, so the footwork is inverted. Um, you have to be athletic. You have to be smart to play there. I mean, does Glaber first, as he translate as a second baseman in the future? And two, I mean, to my point, are they devaluing that position right now? Yeah, I think – I think the position has been devalued and um, I do think he's capable um, of, of, of being a pretty solid guy, but I, I think they, they, they need to work more, you know, you know, we saw, you know, like I said, you know, you see when teams that work and work hard at, at these things, you know, you see a seamless 
transition of making all the plays. You know, like as a former pitcher, I didn't need the highlight film, but just make all the plays you're supposed to behind me. Um, I think that's really important. And, and if you're a manager, that's really what you want, you know, and maybe have a highlight guy in center field. If you're fortunate enough to have that, then, boy, you got a chance of being really good. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, uh, I know we, our opinion probably gets listed as old fashioned, but if you take a look at the teams that have had success in the playoffs, those are the teams that are strong up the middle and they have a clearly defined staff and a clearly yeah. defined bullpen and you know who's going to be I, – I agree with some changes in the lineup every now and then, but that's the exception to the rule. That's not – it shouldn't be a revolving door. Yeah, every, you know, if it's a righty or a le- lefty, you might flip a guy or two, or move somebody up, move somebody down. But, you know, you want you know, you know, you want guys to be comfortable and ready to go. Yeah. And I, I've got one more question. I'm going to throw it at you again. It's a, it's a, uh, a little bit of a pitching question, and it may be oversimplistic, but when I'm looking at, I don't care if it's youth baseball, but specifically major league baseball, either you buy pitchers or you develop pitchers. Um, what, what are the Yankees? Um, and if we don't know, where should they go? Well, I, you know, a few years ago, they were starting to develop a pretty good uh, grouping of young pitchers. A lot of them have been traded or have been injured or have failed in development. They lost their two um, veteran baseball pitching coordinators that they had, one uh, one had decided that he was going to retire, and the other one, when they brought in someone from Drive Lines who was on equal footing with him, he resigned, and he's the pitching coach at Georgia Tech now. Um, he was very, very good, and he had a bunch of those young kids that were at the lower levels who they've ended up putting in some trades. Uh, the kid that's with the Pirates now was down there. Um, kid that I think went to the Cubs last year, another kid that was in a deal this year. They had Davey Garcia, or uh, I think it was Davey Garcia that started the Futures game in 2019. So, you know, they had a bunch of really good-looking kids coming that they were developing. You know, they signed loisica who they've gotten to the big leagues and has been good they they acquired king in a trade and did a good job there and in, in his development but you know you lost garrett whitlock to the rule five draft and you lost trevor stefan who we just saw on the big yeah. stage in the rule five draft so like you know they've made some bad decisions yeah and they've got this young crop of infielders getting ready to make their way with Cabrera, Peraza, and Volpe. Will we see yeah. them next year now that they didn't make the series? I don't know. I I I, I could see them uh, maybe maybe getting into the trade market and going and signing a shortstop now if they don't sign Judge. I mean, that's all going to be so interesting to watch yeah. and see what they do. Trevor um, Stories. Trevor Stories on the market. That would that would uh, yeah satisfy the speed in the leadoff spot for him. Um, as we, we were getting real close to our 45 minutes here, I wanted to uh, thank you for an introduction you gave me to Tom Griffin. Uh, give him a shout out at Carson Newman, runs catch block throw. 
Um, I know Kevin started the show with a trip through Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, thanks to you, introduced me to Tom, and, and I was able to bring my son Tanner. He got invited up to that uh, camp with them. Lots of older kids, uh, you know, seniors, juniors, sophomores in high school. Tanner's a junior high kid, but what a great campus! What a great instructor and uh, a phenomenal leader of men um, up there. Yeah, Tom, I uh, I've told people this that if I was a farm director, I would hire him as either a catching coordinator or a field coordinator. His ener- his positive energy and his work ethic and understanding of repetitions and doing things the right way are as good as there are anywhere. Um, you know, has a tremendous division two program there, a beautiful campus in a beautiful part of the country and, uh, absolutely love and respect him for sure. Great area of the the country, the, the smoky mountains, pigeon Ford. And, um, we loved it up there. He had a great two day experience showed out well and came back better. And that, that's what it's about. And what I loved about Tom's approach was he spoke to each young man, like a man, eye to eye, very clear language. Um, but at the end of the camp, he stood in the middle of the walkway, shook every, every young man's hand firmly, looked him in the eye and thanked them for coming to camp. And uh, that, that probably meant more to me as a dad and a ball yeah. player, former ball player and a coach than, than anything else that happened at the camp. Yeah. He's just, you know, he, uh, he's genuine and uh, in, in, in a world of, a lot of disingenuous people that have ulterior motives. He's there to help kids get better, uh, to be successful in their lives. And he truly cares about each kid that ends up playing there, each kid that comes to his camp, each person that he meets, he builds relationships with. He's just a uh, very, very special guy. Yep. And we'll, we'll definitely be back there for anything he's doing. And I would highly recommend people take a look at that camp and that university in the baseball yeah. program. And then we'll have Tom on the show. Uh, we're looking at close to Thanksgiving time once the fall season's over. So, but, uh, but well, thanks for providing us such great content today. I know we, we had Kevin and Sal the first half and, and, uh, and uh, they did a phenomenal job chronicling what's going on with the playoffs and the Yankees. And this is episode 70 right now, panel of experts, coaching current and podcast network. And we'll end it with our good, the bad and the ugly again. Thanks, Will. Sounds good guys. Thank <laughs> you.